Hello, everyone. This is the Summer Friends Podcast. I'm Nate Laux. On today's episode, we have not just one guest, but two. Kathy and Ben Braden sat down with me about a month ago to talk about their life. The Bradens are the founders of the Owls for Avery Foundation, which they started after battling cancer with their two-year-old daughter. I'm a huge fan of Ben and Kathy. I'm grateful they were willing to talk honestly and vulnerably about their experiences, and I think you'll enjoy meeting them too. And hey, please do me a favor, subscribe, share, and rate so other people can hear these stories. But I'll say no more and allow them to tell you the rest. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy meeting your new summer friends, Ben and Kathy Braden. So Ben, you graduated in 2001 from Laporte High School. Yes. Then where'd you go? Oh boy. Um, so I went to Vincennes because I couldn't get into anywhere else. Uh, all my friends were going off in their different directions. I could not get into anywhere else. Didn't um, take school very seriously. Did not take school very seriously, unfortunately. Um, I thought that things would just kind of work and they didn't. Um, I don't regret anything that happened. Um, other than the fact that I don't have a degree from Indiana or something like that. But I, so anyways, I went to Vincennes, uh, I stayed there for a year and they asked me not to come back. Um, the junior college down there. You didn't take that seriously. Didn't. Well, I didn't know how. So that was the issue. By the time I got someplace and I realized that I had to start working my tail off and to get someplace else, um, I didn't know how to do it. You didn't know how to study. You how didn't to study. How, I mean, barely knew how to read. What, oh, what year do you think in school did you start kind of getting behind? Do you think um, was middle, it early on in elementary? Yeah, probably middle school. Okay, middle yeah, school. sixth or seventh grade. Um, I, I realized that I. I mean, uh, for what it is, math was never a strong point, and I probably, as an educator now, looking back and how I was, like I don't know how people missed that. I think I just kind of got through and was good, but I really struggled and probably had some difficulties. Um, so that kind of slowed me up, but fast forward several years, Vincennes, I'm asked not to come back. Um, my parents say you can go to Ivy tech or you can uh, work. And I decided to go to Ivy tech. Um, they also wanted me to work. So I was a substitute teacher out at my mom's school. And after that first day of being in the classroom, I think I had like a third or a fourth grade class as a sub. Um, I went to her classroom and I said, mom, I know what I want to be. And she's like, what? I said, a teacher and her jaw hit the floor. And that really having like something to aim for, I, I was, I was, want, I, I just wandered around. I had nothing, no goal, no aspirations. Um, I wanted to be a businessman, like whatever that was. Like Jay-Z? Like Jay-Z. Yes. A mogul. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I, I can rap, but I can't rap that, that, that well. So, um, no, so I, uh. I had like a goal. Um, I aimed for it. it. Took me a year and a half to get my grades up at Ivy Tech to get into Ball State. <laughs> got into Ball State. Got a degree in elementary education. Moved to Savannah, Georgia, and that's where I met Kathy. Um, and, and I'll just I'll cut the the rest out. I'll make it quick. But uh, when we moved to Dallas, I went to Southern Methodist University and got my master's there and became a administrator. So it's been quite a journey um, from from I, uh, dropping out of Vincennes to. To where I'm at, and I'm pretty proud of it. So, Kathy, so you are not from Laporte, like you said, you're from Florida. Yes. Where, where at in Florida? Key Largo, Florida, way down south. Oh wow, south of Miami. Yeah, and it's like other than hurricanes, it's kind of picturesque down there. Yeah, right? it's very beautiful. It's a great place of vacation. My parents still live down there. Small town. Where'd you go to school? Um, I went to Florida State for college, which is in northern Florida in Tallahassee. F-L-O-R-I-D-A. Uh, yeah. FSU. Yeah. Um, and 
What years were that? Were you at FSU? I graduated high school in 2001 and graduated from Florida State in 2005. What was your major? Business and hospitality. Okay. And then you went to Savannah? Yes. So I graduated college, went to Savannah, just kind of like Ben graduated, went to Savannah and we both met there, but he came a couple years after I was already easy, there. Easy. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what brought you to Savannah, Ben? Um, I wanted to move south. Um, I remember walking to class at Ball State and my beard, and by the time I would get to class, would be like frozen. My nostrils, anytime <laughs> I'd inhale, they would freeze shut. And I said, this is, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So the last spring break, my dad and I flew down to Savannah. We rented a car. The goal was to drive through Florida. And I was just going to stop at school districts and drop off my resume. Cause you used to have to do that. Like you couldn't just email somebody your resume like you can now. So I had like a paper stack of resumes and I would bring them to principals. Um, started in Savannah, like the second school that we stopped at called me and, uh, asked me in for an interview and offered me a job. And my dad just, and I just decided to, to stay in Savannah the rest of the week and enjoy ourselves. But it was. So you dropped off a, a resume with them Yes, and they called and offered you a job. Well, they called and called and interviewed me. Okay. And I, the, the, my first interview, but like right after you dropped yes, off. The, yes. Yeah. Um, it actually works. The The first interview I had was this, this, uh, Southern gentleman, a uh, big Southern gentleman, white hair, big white beard. Um, and inside this old school brick walls, I mean, just old, um, uh, Southern school. Right. And he sits down across the desk for me. And the first question he asked me was, he was looking at my resume. He goes, ah, you're a Yankee. And I was like, yeah, that's the first time anybody had called me a Yankee. I heard it a lot after, but he goes, so tell me, what are your thoughts on the war of Northern aggression? And I was like the war on Northern aggression. <laughs> Luckily I, I, I had like, I, I didn't kind of freak out at that question and, and, and think that I was in some serious trouble. Um, but we had a nice conversation about the civil war. Shortly like, after how, that. how do you, how is a nice conversation? Like, did you say, yeah, you're, you're traitorous and <laughs> we forgive you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what I said. Uh, they didn't offer me a job. Uh, no, but we, you know, I kind of skirted over that and we got past it and, and moved on, but I was, was just, he joking. No, no. See down there, they, I mean, the, the saying is that they think the civil war is either still going on or that they won. Um, and it's, it's absolutely true. I I mean, for the most part, people down there are very level headed, but I think what keeps Savannah being Savannah is that there's still a large portion of people who are Southern sympathizers. They are just, they are Southern as Southern gets. It's not uncommon to see like a, um, a Confederate flag. No, but I, I wouldn't say that it's that you see a Confederate flag for like some of the reasons where you might see a Confederate flag up here. I'm sure. going to get myself in trouble here. Talking it's okay. About this, but, but, uh, it's not, I mean, they don't, they no, don't boast I, about it. No. I, so, so if you're going to allow the premise that the Confederate flag stands for something cultural in the South, as some people in the South might say, yes, I don't think you're allowed that premise when you have a Confederate flag up here. But that's, Is that fair? I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I prefer no Confederate flags, quite frankly. Right. Um, but I, I, I do think that there, there is maybe something different than having a Confederate flag up here. I think so. I, I, because it is, like you said, it's heritage and cultural. According to the, I, I don't know. I'm not from the South. Maybe Kathy could shed some light in here. Florida is not really the South. Well, parts of Florida are the South, but where she's <laughs> from. Like different. the northern part not of Florida is kind of Southern, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some dark stuff happening in the central part of Florida. But... uh Disney? Like Disney. Yes. The happiest place on earth. 
So um, you go down to Savannah, Georgia. You get a job teaching. Yes. What were you What were you teaching? Uh, fourth grade. Okay. Yeah. And how did you guys meet? Oh gosh. I want Kathy to tell this story. Please, yeah. Oh gosh. Well, if anybody, I'll do the short version. if any any of our friends are listening to this from Savannah. Uh, they will be able to picture me telling yes, the story because, because it's it very so animated. Right, uh, well, he moved into the apartment complex true. where I lived. I lived on the bottom or I lived on the top floor and he moved into the empty apartment below me. Um, but it was summertime because as a teacher, you know, you have your summers off and you start in the fall. I worked at a hotel, so I worked year round. Um, when he moved in, he would see me come home from work every day. I had to pass his apartment and go up the stairs to get to mine. Um, there were a few times where I feel like he might've been peeping through the blinds. I'm wondering who is this new guy that moved in. That's kind of creepy. <laughs> a little bit creepy, but you know, it was harmless. And then, uh, one, one day <laughs> I was going out to my car and, um, getting ready to go out, I think. And, and he comes outside and kind of starts throwing his arms up in the air and making a big scene and he's just by himself. So I kind of look over like, Sir, are you okay? Sir? Can I help you? <laughs> I didn't know him at all. We'd never met. Oh, crazy northerner. <laughs> and he, he's Sir? like, oh my gosh, I've locked my keys out of my car. I just moved here. I don't know anyone. You know, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't have my phone. And so I'm like, well, okay, you know, maybe I can call AAA or something and help you out. And then he immediately changes the subject. And he's like, so are you from around here? You know, I just moved here. And we started talking about... Um, just, you know, our, each other mm -hmm. turns out his keys were in his pocket the entire time. The whole thing was made up. He That's just was, true. he was using it as an excuse Lost to talk keys. to me. No. <laughs> yeah. Because you never found your keys and I ended up leaving no, at the I end of that conversation. found them in my pocket. No. So, so I, I'm a little confused by this. Uh -huh. So when he was outside doing his thing, were you inside? No, I was walking outside to my car. He okay. had see, he was pe probably peeping through the blinds. Old saw old me, peeping Ben. Yeah. Saw me go to my car, and then he went out after right. and just started this. And scene. like, oh my gosh! And yeah. how many hours were you sitting out there waiting for her to come out? Oh, twelve. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, so that day I had a uh, uh, my cable guy came and set up my cable, and I literally knew nobody there. And this was like two days after I had moved there. I started wondering whether or not I made the right choice. Cable guy comes and sets up uh, the cable and I realize he's within 10 years of, of mine and a, and a, and a, and a guy and uh, maybe he could be my buddy. So I said, Hey, just like desperate for enough. I, I said, Hey, yeah. cable guy, uh, what are you doing? Let's do something tonight. And he's like, man, I'm going out for some drinks. Do you want to join? And I'm like, yes, please. Yes, yeah. I do want to join. And so that was that day. She actually invited me out that night and I said, sorry, I already have plans with the cable guy. I will meet you after. And uh, well, I was trying to be friendly yes. and, you know, I wasn't trying to, you know, wait, invite wait, you on a yeah. date or anything. So did you ask him on the first date? He said, I don't know anybody around here. So I told him, hey, I'm going out with a bunch of people from work. We're mm -hmm. going to this local place. You should come on by and like introduce yourself and meet some people. Big group's going to be there. And so... He did. Yeah. So I texted her and she said, because people texted. No, we didn't. Need, I didn't give you my phone number. Yo, yes, no. Did. Oh, oh, <laughs> I told you I where to go. Anyways, I told you number. where to go and when. And you showed so up. She, she meets me at the door because I was texting her. No. And um, <laughs> she brings me back to the group and she says, everybody, this is Ben. Ben, this is everybody. And then she didn't say another word for me the rest of the night. And I fell in love with her. Well, so. yeah, I was basically leaving it up to you to go meet some people here. Yes. I did the introduction hmm. and put on your big boy pants it. and go meet some That's people. Right. Yeah. And I did. 
And I didn't know anything about you to even say. This is my new neighbor. I met him a couple hours ago. I don't know anything about you him. You lied about his know. keys being lost? Yeah, <laughs> which I did not know at the time. I found they that were, out later. So. Oh, you didn't. You didn't tell her. Oh, they've been here the whole time. Right. No. No. Mm-mm. And so uh, the... The factual al- factuality of the story is factuality. The sure, yeah, is uh, still being debated, and it probably will forever. I don't remember <laughs> the whole lost keys scenario, and and uh, but it I, all worked out. I because- do remember that night; it was fun meeting all those those guys. Yeah. I'm st- we're still friends with with a lot of the most one of the, of the guys that, that there. was there ended up being your roommate the next year. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so then, um, af- how soon did you start dating, and how soon did you get married after that? Um, I'll let you answer these questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, the part of the reason why I introduced him to the group and walked away was because I was currently in another relationship. Okay, too, <laughs> so I was not looking to find anyone at the moment, but, um, so it, it was a while. It was a while. It was a while till we started dating, but we became friends. Yeah. And then- so were you that guy trying to get her to break up no, with her boyfriend? No, no, no. <laughs> um, I know, I know. Uh, I wasn't. I, we just, we enjoyed hanging out and it was fun. And, it, you know, one thing led to the other. They broke up and, and I was able to, to make my move. Yeah, I think and you I asked me on a move. date that very next day. Just, <laughs> yes. And uh, we get engaged, we get married, and then uh, we get back from our, our the honeymoon and uh, she finds out that she can be transferred with her work. So. Yeah. So we packed up and were you working at we, like a hotel chain or yeah, I was working for Hyatt hotels. Okay. And so, um, they offered me a job where I could transfer to Dallas, Texas. And so Dallas, Texas. Where, where were yeah. you at in Dallas area? Plano. Yeah. Well, okay. we lived in Plano. That's where we ended up moving. The hotel was downtown Dallas. I've only been to the Dallas area once and my, my brother and sister-in-law lived down there, but they lived in Allen, Texas. Oh yeah. yeah. It's the next so, suburb North. Okay. Mm-hmm. Plano. Very close yeah. to where we were. Yeah. Um, and I feel like all of that area just keeps on growing like crazy it's and incredible. like everything's new within the last like 10 years. It it's is incredible. And the options are incredible. There's just anything you'd possibly imagine to eat, to do for kids, for adults. There's just everything. But as, as a northerner, yes, part of the northern aggression, Ben, yes, my brother says, because again, he's he's from Laporte, uh, Rolling Prairie to be exact, the summers were brutal. Um, were, they, were they brutal for you? It's brutal, just absolutely That's brutal. True. Um, very hot, and I kept on saying, uh, that I'd rather after a while, um, I started thinking, you know what, those Indiana winters weren't, weren't so mm-hmm. bad. Um, you can put on more clothes, we get to the point where it's no longer appropriate to take any off, um, and the summers there are worse. I'm still going to say that after having my first winter in a couple years, um, they're, they're worse than the winters here. That's what, that's what my brother says. Yeah. He says the same thing. He said, you know, cause like you said, and then also, you know, your, your house can only get so cool. Right. I mean, right. you know, the places you go and, yeah. and you don't even want to go outside anyway when it's no. that hot. So, no. um, very yeah, hot, but it lasts about a month where winter here is yep. a little bit longer than a month. Sure. So I think that's right too. Yeah. How long do you want to suffer? I don't know. <laughs> so you were in Savannah, Georgia for seven years, Ben. You're, you're a couple years longer. Is that right? How long no, was I No, you weren't Savannah? there that long. Three years, four years. Yeah. I was in Savannah for four. She was there for five. Was, okay. And then, uh, then Dallas. Plano, Texas. Plano for seven years. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And then you taught? Uh, taught, uh, earned my master's degree, um, and became an administrator and an assistant principal at an elementary school. Hey, real quick, just yes. cause I know there's some people that listen that are getting their degree in education and stuff like that. Yes. Um, what would you say to them who are looking for jobs let's say this summer? Cause you, you literally just dropped off resumes. Yeah. What is, what are some of your tips for those looking for jobs? Um, 
to, to do that, to, to make the face-to-face contact with a principal. Um, you don't know, just like email them or no, no, I would come in. Um, maybe even, uh, you know, there, there's six and one half a dozen or the other. Do you call and, and, and announce that you're coming in so you can give the principal an opportunity to kind of set aside maybe a couple minutes for you? I, I, or do you just come in um, and, and hope that you can catch the principal? As an administrator, yeah. uh, somebody getting into administration, yeah. these kind of things, uh, does that bother you though when people just stop by? Because you got a lot of stuff going right. on. Um, no, it, it does, but not if it's somebody out there looking for a job, you know, and you're like, wait, this, this person has some, some go get them attitude. And it kind of, uh, it, it changes from, it oh sets them apart a little yes, bit. Yes. And it changes from, can't, don't they know to make an appointment to, uh, you know what? That's, that's pretty cool. Uh, good for her. I'll, I'll keep this or good for him. I'll keep this here. You know, and if anything were to come up, I, I've made that face to face contact. I'll remember that person, but that's what I would suggest is going in and making that, that contact. There's nothing like that personal interaction with somebody. Good to know. So if you're looking for a job, um, come in and talk to Ben. Get on Twitter. Um, (laughs) Get on Twitter. Educators out there, don't do it alone. It's 2019. There's no reason not to be on Twitter. It's the number one source for professional development for a teacher. Uh, You will find not just one other person like you out there. You'll find thousands of people who have great ideas and you will change the way you teach if you're on Twitter. And follow Um, me at Mr. Underscore Brain. Thank you. And, um, you know, at Nate Logs, I don't talk about uh, education, but um, I just need more followers. Um, so, Kathy, you started working at, a, is it Hyatt? Yes. Okay. Hyatt Hotels, yep. Did, were, you, were you working for Hyatt the whole time in Texas? Um, no, not the whole time. I started out working for Hyatt and then um, I switched over and became a meeting planner, which um, it was a third party planning company. So I planned meetings for pharmaceutical companies. And with that, it was kind of a switch of roles where I used to be at the hotel and plan conventions where groups would come to me. And then I ended up being the person that went to the different hotels and I started traveling a little bit and um, still planning meetings, but just on the other end of it. Ben, I, w- I want to talk just briefly here um, because it's a topic I am I am definitely interested in. I think you listen to um, our discussion over dinner on middle school education. And we, we like to have these topics because we do believe in public education. Mm. Uh, you, you said this in an interview, uh, you said, I believe hold wholeheartedly in our mission as educators. I believe all kids can succeed and a caring relationship with an adult may be what a young child needs to be successful in life. I know communities can grow. States can thrive. Countries can excel and the world can become a kinder place through the education of the youth. No excuses. So who said that? Uh, uh, Mr. Ben Brady. Oh my goodness. It's actually a pretty good quote. I was impressed. Yeah, no, that was pretty good. Um, Thank you. uh, I didn't know you had it in you, but um, I didn't either. But anyway, um, what do you mean by that? Like uh, uh, other than like, is it just like, there's more to teaching than just recitation of facts and these kind of things. Yeah. Do you think it's more important to show that, you know, emotionally you support a child or kind of unpack what you were thinking in that? Yeah. I think now more than ever, it's, it's, it's important to, to open up emotionally with, with your, with your kids. Uh, There's kids out there that just, like I said, in the, in that quote, that just need one caring adult to maybe break. Now, uh, hopefully throughout their life, they're going to have more than one caring adult, but sometimes, um, that's really all it takes is for a child to realize, you know what the, first of all, life can be better. I, I don't have to do this. And by this, I mean, 
sometimes they're, they're growing up in difficult circumstances and they don't know that that's not what life has to be. If they don't have somebody from outside of that come in and show a genuine enthusiasm for them as a person, uh, they don't get that very often. So sometimes, uh, just one caring adult can, can do that for somebody. I strongly feel that way. I, I, and the reason maybe I feel that way is there's, there's two, there are twins, two students from Savannah, my first year, uh, who reached out to me, uh, in the past couple of years and, uh, kind of opened up and said, you didn't know kind of our story. We were living in foster care. We were being abused. Uh, but you were like the thing in our life that kept us like going through, like you, you never doubted us. You believed in us. Your smiling face, uh, helped us when we were going through the hardest time of our lives. And uh, that meant so much to me to hear that from them. Um, if you're a teacher and you're showing up uh, and you're doing it because summer vacations and spring breaks and stuff, which are great, I love them, but we can really change lives. And I'm just not sure of the jobs out there that have that as like your responsibility. You can honestly change the trajectory of a person's life. And that's powerful. So you're in Plano, Texas, and you find out you're pregnant, correct? Yes. Yeah. And that little uh, bundle of joy is Avery. Um, And uh, pretty ecstatic, I'm sure, like any new parent does. Um, When did you start noticing uh, that Avery was sick? Uh, We never noticed. She. Well, uh, no, we did. Uh, Looking back, symptoms. No. So you're right. We never noticed. We took her to her pediatrician for her two year well visit, just a standard routine checkup. And the pediatrician was pushing on her belly, just feeling around, felt a lump. Um, Originally, she thought it was constipation, not a big deal, but she decided to have us go get an x-ray. And then they found that it was a tumor off of her liver. And that was a total shock and surprise to us because we did not. Were you both at that appointment? No, no, no. it was just me. So yeah. what do you do? What is that like getting that news for the first time? Um, well, my mind was, you know, spinning in circles and I'm thinking, what does this mean? You know, they never said the word cancer at first. It was just a mass. They didn't even say tumor really at first. It was this mass. And they let's sent you do, to an imaging place. Yeah. Right? Let's do more testing. So, um, they, we went and got an ultrasound after that. Um, and then the ultrasound kind of confirmed that it was something significant. So, um, I actually, I went back to work because they weren't sure at first, took her back to daycare and they called and said, okay, this is significant. Bring her back right now. We need to do a CT scan. So she had three tests to confirm that's what it was. And then that's kind of when we heard, you know, this is hepatoblastoma. Well, yeah. And I, that was my last day as a teacher. Um, so I had gotten called up from the big leagues or from the minors to the big leagues as an administrator. And it was in what, January. Yeah. And so I was supposed to start, I was going to go back and teach for like a week and then start. And that was Friday and I was getting ready to say goodbye to my class. And she called and it was just like, what time of year was going this? On. Winter in January. Yeah, it was in January. Yeah. And so, uh, I just remember her pediatrician calling that night, like, you know, because we didn't know. And this was Friday and it seemed like throughout our journey of Avery 
Um, spoiler alert, she did have cancer and she fought it really hard for two years and she won. Um, but uh, that night, uh, it seemed like every, I was going back to this. Uh, it seemed like every big thing was on like a Friday. Um, and we would have to wait through the weekend to find out if the cancer mm-hmm. was back or if the chemo had worked or, you know, all these tests that seemed like we had them done on Fridays. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, her pediatrician called that night. It was a Friday. And, um, I just remember closing ourselves in the bathroom and putting her on speaker and, and just saying, doc, have you had an opportunity to look at these scans? And she said, yeah. And I said, and is it, is it cancer? And she said, yeah, it looks like it. It looks like it. And she was devastated. Um, yeah. She's the one that found the mass, you know, and she was devastated. And and uh, she said, it looks like it. But you this know, is right before Avery's second birthday. Right after. Right after. Right yeah. after. Yeah. Like five was or six it, days yeah. after her second birthday. A week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you, where where does your mind go oh, when, OK, your little two year old daughter, your first child, mm-hmm. she has cancer. Um, and a, a very rare cancer, correct? Yeah. It affects about 50 to 70 people in the United States. Um, and, uh, total, total. Per, and yeah, they're not year. a year and they're not, they're not sure. Uh, like that's a guesstimate. Um, there is no registry for hepatoblastoma. So uh, a child that's diagnosed in Seattle, um, the doctor is never going to put, um, that, such and such child has hepatoblastoma stage three. Here's what's going on. We're actually through our foundation working with Cincinnati Children's Hospital to establish a registry so doctors can share um, that data. Uh, but 50 to 70 student, or students, see, I'm going back to my uh, kids, um, are affected by it in the United States each year. Uh, we think It is a childhood cancer. It is a childhood yes. cancer. Yes, it, it, it can happen from, it seems like there's two windows. Uh, there's zero to two. Um, and then there, it seems like there's like 10 to 12 that it can, it can affect kids. But, um, th- that's, those are the age groups of most of the cases. How do you deal with that news? Like what, what goes on in your mind? Do you go to the, okay, I need to keep this all together. I need to, you know, kind of, I, I, you know, help, help, you know, be strength to my daughter and my, or do you just kind of, you know, break down what, where, where, where were you at emotionally, mentally, spiritually in that time? All of the above. Okay. You kind of go through phases. It was, I just remember sitting on the bed and thinking I'm in prison inside my own head. Um, and this was right after, I just remember thinking I have to wake up from this. This is a nightmare. This can't be true. How are we going to do this? The most precious thing in my life uh, is sick. We didn't know how bad it was then, but I just remember thinking, uh, like you were in prison, like you're a prisoner in your head because of this news. And you, you know, it's, this could be going on for years. Um, luck if, if we're lucky enough to still be fighting, then this will be going on, on for years. And it was just like, right away, I felt this is not going to end. And I'm a prisoner. Uh, I went up and down, uh, at the end of the day, you, you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Everybody is like, Oh, you're, you've really impressed me with how strong you've been. And I appreciate all those good thoughts, but it's like, man, what, what was I going to do? I'm not going to give up. And Kathy, you, you are a planner. So do you immediately go into action? Okay, I'm going to find everything I can about this cancer. And, you know, or, or did you need to take a season of mourning and lamenting? Or wh- how did you respond? I think at first I was probably in a state of shock where everything just kind of went black. And I didn't really know how to react or what to do. Um, 
but the doctors, you know, they gave us all this information. I did take it home and I studied it. I think it was uh, Dr. Martin Avery's oncologist who said, don't Google this because it will scare you what you find. And there's all kinds of things out there that may not pertain to her specifically. So don't worry about doing that. But of course we needed information. We needed to know what's you, you going can't on. Live in ignorance no. when there's a problem to be solved. Right. right? We, yeah. And we want to know, okay, so, but yes, I, you know, in the planner in me was like, what are our next steps? How do we fix this? How do we make her better? We got to get it right. Um, so. And it's never as quick as you want, right? No. no and it, it, well, we kind of thought, you know, originally after that, she had to have a, a surgery to remove the tumor from her liver. And we were told in the beginning that it would be about four months of chemotherapy after the surgery, and then we might be done. But see, the thing is, is if she's eligible for surgery, if the, if the tumor hadn't wrapped itself around uh, arteries and important blood vessels, if the, the, the tumor hadn't taken up the entire ifs, level, yeah. liver. Um, there were a lot of ifs. And if, if we can, if it's resectable, that's the best thing. Over 80% of kids survive if... If the, if the everything goes as well as we want it to, yes. right? And how, but how often does that happen? In cancer, especially. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Well, we found out we went to that first uh, uh, surgery appointment about a week after we found out mm -hmm. that she was diagnosed. So it's like everything's you know her family flies in, my family comes in. We're going over our options. Um, they're letting us make. They're just there as support, which was amazing. But mm -hmm. they're I mean we're we're the ones that are making the choices at this point. Um, but there was a protocol, surgery, follow up with four rounds of chemo, and then we're going to be good. We'll sail off into the sunset and right. things will be great. Uh, the surgeon that we met with, we didn't know whether or not she would be eligible. And she was, uh, which we were thankful for. He was very confident that he could get in there after looking at some of the images and, and, and remove the entire tumor. It was about the size of a softball. Mm -hmm. um, and he did it. Uh, she had surgery um, <clears throat> that night of her surgery. Um, it's a pretty big one. She has a incision across her abdomen. That's like six, seven, six seven eight inches. inches. Yeah. Um, and so she, needless to say, she went up to ICU that night and, uh, uh, that was one of the hardest nights, um, uh, that we had. She, she, uh, we didn't know if she was going to make it, uh, through, through that night. Uh, she had de what do they call it? Desaturate, desat. She was not getting the oxygen right. um, she that she needed. And then she'd wake up and freak out. Um, after having, I mean, she looked like she was just connected to, to every machine in, in the hospital. Um, and she'd wake up and look around and, you know, she doesn't know how to communicate at two and, uh, like she does now. And there were three or four times where, where she, uh, they had to rush every doctor on the floor in there to put her on oxygen. How do you keep it cool at that point? I don't. You, okay. <laughs> we were, I feel like we were just surviving. Yeah. Like we were so nervous and scared about everything, but are you also kind of numb as well? Just yeah. cause you're yeah. just, you, there, so much is happening that you have no control over. Right. 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 Well, she, Kathy, uh, stood by her bed the entire night. Right. I couldn't get in the bed with her because, because was, of all the tubes and yeah. everything that was attached to her. And but finally the nurse brought in like a chair that was kind of <laughs> tall that she could sit in, but she sat there, she stood there for 12 hours. And I remember thinking every time those alarms would go off, uh, I, I would sit on my cot that I was trying to sleep on and with my head in my hands. And I just remember thinking again, going back to the prison, like I can't do anything for my daughter. I have to trust that these doctors are going to save her life every time they come in. Um, wake up, wake up mm -hmm. from this. 
and, and we're st- I've still haven't woken up from it. You know, she's in remission and we've dealt kind of dealt with, with a lot of things emotionally and kind of post traumatic stress, um, s- situations come up often. Um, I don't know if we'll ever wake up from it. so that's kind of what led us to this foundation to, so we could, uh, do what we can for other parents and kids going through this. Uh, we just skipped over a very large section of, of her battle. So ask away for anything else, but no. So yeah. I, I did read though that, um, so it's a, a cancer that starts in the liver, mm-hmm. right? but hers had mo- moved into her lung too. So after the four months of the chemotherapy that she had following her first surgery, they scanned her again to see, did we get everything? Everything looked good in there. And we found out that the answer to that was no, it actually spread and she had a nodule on her lung. So she went from, I think it was what stage, stage one, one to stage four because of it metastasizing. And they think that it metastasized while she was on chemo, right. which is like, I mean, that's, well, that's a whole nother Does that show story, it's yeah. a very aggressive then. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. We found out later. Um, now we would have gotten her genetically tested we would have gotten that tumor, uh, tested as soon as it was taken out. Probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. As so as a good recommendation for those that might be going through this now, or if you're listening to yes. this, um, you have to do the genetic testing right um, away. Yeah. Uh, right away, because now they know that certain chemos work for certain genes. Like if your if your tumor is showing that it has such and such gene, they can target that with a specific chemo. Um, she had what is called the NERF two mm-hmm. uh, mutation, which we found out towards the very end means that there is no chemo for her. Uh, None which, of those drugs that we were giving her were doing anything. And that was just three. How many did she end up having throughout the whole thing? Oh my goodness. Like 12 different. A lot. Yeah. Because they were trying different blends, different cocktails, if you will, of, um, drugs to see, okay, we know that this one didn't work. Let's it spread. So when it spread, let's try something else. They tried different chemo drugs and it would come back with one nodule in the lung, go and have surgery, have it removed, um, followed up with rounds of chemo, um, go back in for a CT scan there'd be another spot on right. one of her lungs. So were you guys in the hospital quite a bit? Oh, understand? yes, yes. For, well, she fought for two years. We were in the hospital every single week getting labs. She would have to have her blood drawn and check her um, AFP or alpha-theta protein levels, um, which would show us if there's cancer in her body or not, because this type of cancer, hepatoblastoma, um, omits an AFP. So we, we would have to go every week for that. And then, of course, every month for chemo, she would go in and be there inpatient for about four days. So do you start seeing some of the same families? Same families. Yeah, you do. Nurses we became close At clinic, you get to meet everybody. I mean, especially at um, Children's Medical Center in Plano, which was the one that we went to for her labs often. We got to know a lot of other families and a lot of other kiddos who were fighting different kinds of cancers. We'd see them all the time. um, Some of my uh, best friends are uh, Mark and Julie Secor and their son, Tyler, who's now in his 20s. But um, he had uh, cancer as well. And uh, they said one of the hardest things is you get to know these families, then all of a sudden you stop seeing them because the cancer took their child, you know, and, and it reminds you that, you know, cause you're, you have to keep positive about this, right? You have to say, we're going to beat this. We're going to, you know, but that it doesn't always end that way. That that was terrifying knowing that it doesn't always end that way. And when we found out, so we're progressing. She's going and having surgery, um, removing a nodule at a time because thank God it would only come as one at a time. It never, 
And we've met families where they've gone in for that second CT scan and the lungs were just filled with, with and at that point, there's not really nothing you can do if the chemo isn't working. Um, Luckily it never happened. She, uh, it just came back one at a time. It was very slow progressing. And uh, um, knowing that no matter what we were doing or what, or, or, we're poisoning her. Uh, I mean, that's what chemo is. If we're being honest, uh, another reason why we're, we opened our, or we started our foundation is because the chemo that, uh, that is used on kids with hepatoblastoma can be 60 years old, 30 years old. Uh, it, there has been no new drugs, um, in the past 30 years for hepatoblastoma. Whereas one of her drugs uh, is actually a mustard gas derivative. I mean, they, they, they realized that, uh, when they were testing, um, mustard gas for weapons that, it was curing cancer as well. And so this is one of the drugs that she was on. Um, the, going back to the families that we met, uh, we keep tabs on a lot of those families of kids that we call them hepatoblastoma warriors. Um, and I would say, again, I don't have the data to back this up, but 90% of the kids that I see that have been through the same battle that Avery has been through have hearing aids because it, it, it affects your hear, hearing. Um, uh, Avery, Somehow it it has affected it. She's had hearing tests, but yeah. she doesn't need hearing aids as of right now. So that's amazing. But we need better drugs to treat this. Uh, she she had 19 cycles of chemo, and each time there's, I, I think we figured it out. It was something like 120 different times she had chemotherapy injected into her two year old body. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that if the cancer is not going to kill you, that could. And so we'd go in and have chemo given to her. And then two weeks later, her numbers would drop and she'd have some sort of infection. We'd have to rush her into the ER where she'd get all these different types of antibiotics. Uh, she'd get blood transfusions and platelet transfusions and all this stuff. And it was just like, well, there has to be we have to figure out better therapies for these kids, uh, that are fighting because like if the cancer doesn't get them, this is going to make them not be able to walk. This is not going to make them not be able to, to learn. This is going to make them not be able to hear. Right. There's short-term side effects. Like you were saying with everything we had to do, taking her to the ER, but then the long-term too, we may not see some of these for years, but her kidney function or her kidney, she has to get tested make sure it's functioning properly. She has to get echocardiograms of her heart, make sure that's functioning properly. Yeah. Her hearing, you know, that's starting to decline a little bit. So there's all these long-term and even secondary cancers can come from these chemos. Yeah. So one chemo may, you know, help something, but it also may hurt in the long run too. So we're trying to find different options for better drugs and yeah, more and effective. I mean, looking less back, toxic. she uh, she had this Nerf two genetic mutation, which, like I said, made it immune to chemo. Um, and if we would have known that at, at right away, uh, I think our path, or at least our options of what we were going to do, would have been different. We wouldn't have had to put all those drugs into her. We didn't know any better at the time. Uh, just nothing, nothing worked until the very end surgery, we think is what actually saved her life, which, uh, hepatoblastoma, if you're listening and you you have a little one, a hepatoblastoma warrior, um, I mean, see a doctor, don't, don't, this is not medical advice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But, uh, surgery, sometimes they think that that surgery can cure kids with hepatoblastoma. Uh, and, and after that first, uh, surgery. Uh, I even remember asking the doctor, can we not do chemo? Like, uh, cause they like good news, clean margins. She right. doesn't have cancer in her body. I was like, so why are we doing chemo? And it was to mop it up. 
So to make sure any microscopic out. cells yeah. weren't still yeah. in there. How do you how do you explain all this to your two year old? Well, she knows that she had cancer. Yeah, but, and, but at the time at the though, time. as you're going through going back to another painful, you know what I mean? She's gonna yeah, get sick. It's very she's, hard. Yeah. Like at what I mean, did that has to that has to hurt. Do you know I mean to explain? I'm sure she's saying, I don't want to do this. Well, yeah. and it was hard too because she couldn't communicate with us. She's only two, you know, she's barely talking, you know, she couldn't tell us, we couldn't tell sometimes if she was hurting, if something was hurting or if she was hungry, you know, she, um, wasn't able to tell us anything. And we're trying to tell her, of course, you know, you have to do this. This is what we're here for. The doctor's going to help you. But she's like, he's not helping me. This hurts. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, she had the port, you know, um, put in, in her chest and that's where they would draw blood from mm-hmm. and, and give chemo. And I just remember whenever she would have it accessed, uh, we would have to hold her down. Um, it was really hard. It yeah. was soul sucking. I, lo- I lost, I remember just thinking that this is taking either years off of my life or it's taking away from my soul right? because she didn't understand why her parents were holding her down. Uh, while a, a person in a mask and a gown on came over and put this obnoxiously large needle mm-hmm. into her chest. Um, and, and no matter what we would say or do or kiss or rubber head or anything, she looked at us like we were like, why are you doing, uh, why are this, you doing to this to me? Yeah. And I just remember thinking, uh, and, and telling her this and, and she'd be sleeping and I'd, you know, come over and, and hold her and just kind of whisper to her that, you know, we're doing this. I'll tell you one day, I hope to be able to tell you one day why we did this to you. Uh, she's six years old and, and we don't, it's, it's tough because I want to tell her like certain things. I know she's, it's not time yet. She'll ask. She's got scars. She's got scars mm-hmm. to, to, to prove what she's been through and she'll ask. And when she does, we'll start sharing um, with her. She, she does ask about some things sometimes. Like today we went and had blood work done because uh, Kath, we're expecting a boy uh, here in July and I had to get some stuff done too. And Avery looks at Kathy and whispers, uh, when is it going to be my turn? We're like, baby, right. we don't have to have blood taken today. Yeah, you know? she it's, always thinks if we go to the hospital or the doctor her. that it's for her because she's so used to doing that. So as a two-year-old, how do you explain that to her? You you don't and just hope. Uh, you just give her lots of love. Yeah. You, you're there with her the entire time. She got lots of, you know, prizes, presents, um, Oh my gosh, goodies. we're trying to, we're trying to reverse the spoiling. Uh, yeah. We spoiled the heck out of her. Um, just to kind of, you know, every time she had to go get a poke, she would get a prize mm-hmm. because. And there were times where she was so sick from chemo that if she had, if she ate M&Ms, at least she was eating something, right. some yeah. kind of calories, anything. Yeah. Uh, sometimes she wouldn't eat at all. So. And you know, we're lucky, um, because. Uh, you, you pull me up. She wouldn't know where we were going in the car. And I always felt like we're doing, we're driving her to the hospital. When we pull up, she's going to see the hospital and think, Oh great. I'm tricked again. So now whenever we get ready to go anywhere in the car, she's going to think we're, she's going to be paranoid. These are, this is me. She was not like that. She would, we would pull up to the hospital and she'd get right out and go. She never thought about going into the hospital. Part of the reason, not part of the reason, the whole reason that she is still with us today is not because of uh, we helped we were there for her but it's her she fought uh and she never gave up gosh she never gave up she was so inspirational through the whole thing um 
she, she'd go have, I remember her being in the hospital having chemo and she's throwing up and it's in the summer and we're supposed to get discharged later that day. And she looks and says, can, can we go swimming when we get home? And it's like, <laughs> babe, you're getting, you're getting key. Yeah. Nurse, can you give us waterproof band-aids? Because this thing's going swimming when we get home. <laughs> and because, you know, they had to cover up the port so it wouldn't get infected. But she, that's, that's her. That's what she did. She was a kid. And she acted like a kid, even though she was fighting for her life. And that's the reason she's with us uh, today. And there is, I, I think there's some research that does suggest your emotional and mental like strength and like your will is, is a key component in your um, healthcare as well, you know, and, and kids do, they just have um, amazing uh, wills to get better. Um, so I, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, we're going to get to Owls for Avery because it's mm -hmm. such a great cause, but you had mentioned something earlier, Ben, about like your PTSD. Yeah. Um, and if you don't mind me asking, because this is really, um, I, I think um, other parents that might have, um, do, do you suffer any of that with your new child? Like, <sighs> is there any for you, Kathy, or is it, do you not let your mind go there? Well, do we you, worry. Yeah. I mean, we are one and only child had to that's what I was thinking your only child and you went fight through. through all this so of course now we're pregnant and we're expecting another one and um, we want to make sure everything is okay as as far as we can but no matter what we do I mean positively I mean if we can do some things to screw the baby up of course um, and we're going to do everything that we can to be as healthy as possible, but we did that with Avery. No matter what we do, the cards are going to be dealt and that we'll have to play the hand. And I hope that he is healthy um, and for his own good, for our good, for his sister's own good, we, we hope that he's a healthy baby boy, but we'll be there no matter what, you know, and that's just kind of the mentality you have to take. Like, well, you know, this is going to be great and we're going to have a healthy boy and we're going to see what kind of it is like to have a, uh, normal, healthy kid for a couple of years. Uh, we're, we're going through that now with Avery. She's a normal six year old and we're just having a blast, but, uh, uh, it had to be a conscious, con like a conscientious effort to have this child because we, for a, a long time, we were like, Nope, no more. We're good. We're good. If this um, is what having a child it, it, is. Yep. We're, yeah, we're good. Hard. And so, uh, uh, you know, we had to really kind of decide, let's try this again. Um, and, and maybe we don't want to. So if it happens, it happens. That's great. But we had to decide that it was either something we were going to maybe do or just not at all. Because the Pete, I mean, yeah, we went to the hospital today to give blood and I walk in there and my heart is just, just racing. And I'm thinking, Ben, it's not, it's good. We're good. We're here for good reasons. And it's great. But hospitals freak me out. I know hospitals freak a lot of people out, but Yeah. I think it's done the opposite for Avery though. She has no oh, fear yeah. of a hospital. I said, She's Avery, will you, will you help me? Um, I'm getting blood work done today. Can you help me stay strong? And I'm really scared. And she goes, daddy, just don't look, relax and don't look and, and it won't calm. hurt. And stay <laughs> calm. So she sat next to me and held my hand today while I was getting blood drawn. In, in what other ways for either of you does this kind of, this PTSD, emotional reliving experience come to fruition like how does it happen for you guys in what situations elevators uh when i'm so it's uh, now it's more just like i can feel my heart um before i would have like i would have to talk myself out of panic attacks or i'd even get in a panic attack but but we would just from being on the elevators and 
like I would go out and leave them uh, to go home so I could wake up in the morning and go to work. And I just remember that elevator ride going down thinking, am I making the right choice? Um, is she going to be okay tomorrow? Is this the right thing to do? And now like whenever I get on an elevator, I'm kind of brought back into that space inside of my head and I have to talk myself out of it. Um, I know that when she gets hooked up, when Kathy gets hooked up to all this medical equipment, when we're having this baby, hearing those alarms and the beep, 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 will will probably send me into some interesting places. But, uh, you know, laying in bed at night and just kind of you're, I go back to that first night of surgery and it's like you can feel a physical change in your body when, when that happens and just trying to talk yourself uh, everything's good. She's healthy. She's in that room next door. If you want to go see her, you can like, it's all good. What about you, honey? I'm sorry. I'm talking. This is therapy for me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like we just, we go to the hospital all the time. So we, even still she had, she had to go for her monthly checkups and then now it's spread out between three months. And actually this last one, we got to spread out between four months. So, um, I'm just kind of used to the whole routine of it, I guess. But there are times when I'm just mostly hearing about other families who are just starting this journey or in the middle of it even, and just hearing what they're going through kind of that will trigger me like, Oh my gosh, I remember when we had to do that with Avery and I just feel for them. And I wish I could do something so that they don't have to feel that pain and that we know go that through no that. What, they're going to, we know the pain that they're about to go right. through and it's very, it's a helpless feeling. Yeah. So you guys were in a city away from both of your families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you did say your families would come and visit. Yes. Uh, was it hard to be away from family? Was it, was that hard or was that, cause I, I also want to say too, you know, a lot of times when um, this kind of situation goes through marriages struggle, these kind of things, but you guys are, you seem to be very much in love. You're having a child. <laughs> yes. um, wh- what helped you in that situation? How did you get through that? Well, I, I think to answer the first part of the that, Colombians? It, yeah, <laughs> our Colombian mafia, well, I was going to say Colombian mafia, don't say that. Yeah. um, it was very hard not having our family there. I did have to quit my job to take care of Avery full time. I could no longer go to work. I was working full time and my new full time job was to take care of her. So not only real quick, not only then do you, you have to take care of your daughter, which again, not mm-hmm. have to, I mean, this is something you're honored to do. I'm sure. But then you also have the uh, economic ramifications of only going down to one income. Too. Right. Yeah. That was hard, too, because we're going down to one income from two, but we're also doubling our bills because all the Absolutely. medical bills coming yep. in with her. So um, we're very thankful. A lot of people did fundraisers to help cover um, her medical bills. And that was helpful. But your life does change. I mean. Um, if we had family there, uh, all the time, they did come and be with us for every surgery and even trips in between. But, um, you know, we had a dog too at home, Ben, like you said, he had to go home every night and go to work every day, take care of the dog, do your normal as much as you could do. Um, so it was tough not having family, but we did have a good group of friends. And like he started to say, we have some friends that are from Columbia and they, um, I don't know. I just call them my, you know. <laughs> The Colombian, the Colombian mafia, because it's like they just banded to get. Now we had other friends that were not Colombian who were extremely helpful, and yes. and we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. But it just these these they just banded together. Um, one of and we became like best friends through the whole process. And what I mean by banded together, some a lesson. Okay, here's a little nugget. 
I call it just the just do it mentality. Um, you know, I think, when, I think Nike is already coined that. Oh, they but have, go ahead. No, no, no. This is. I thought I was onto something here. No, just <laughs> just do it. Um, you know, people and 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 they do it from a good place in their heart. When somebody's going through something, they're like, "Hey, let me know if you need anything." Don't hesitate to ask if you need help. Don't hesitate to ask if you need help. That's what or, people say. Yeah, I know things are very tough right now. If you need anything, let me know. Okay. Um, no, I'm never going to let somebody know that I need something ever. Um, that comes from a great place and they mean nothing but that, that but wellness from it. And I've said it a million times in my life. Uh, the, the culture, the Colombian culture is not, if you need something, it's like, Hey, I'm bringing you dinner tonight. It's going to be on your porch. They did. They if would say, we're bringing this. Where do you want us to put it? You know, or we're coming no matter what, we're going to help you and didn't give us an option. And it was just it was amazing. Yeah. Is it, is it, do you think because our, we place such a high value on privacy yes, in America? Absolutely. Do you think? And, and a lot of other cultures, like my wife is Romanian, they're the same way. You know, if, if something happens, a tragedy or something, expect your neighbors and your friends and your family and your church to fill your house with things. Yeah. You know what I mean, because they don't ask, they're going to take care of you. They're going to. And, and I think, ask and thank you for everybody who ever asked if they, if they could do anything for us, uh, yes, we appreciate it so much. We didn't know what we needed. We didn't know mm-hmm. what we wanted. Um, if people didn't make meals for us, we wouldn't eat like, uh, straight up. I mean, that's just the way we might've stopped and gotten something, but we lived a much healthier life because people just didn't ask and they just brought us stuff. Mm-hmm. We, uh, therapy for us was also sharing our story on, on social media, um, hashtag owls for Avery was, was kind of what we used for people to follow us. Um, and the reason real quick is, uh, we felt very alone. And when we would post something, um, you know, in the hospital around four of chemo, you know, wish us luck, uh, 300 people would like that post. And we felt like we had 300 people in the corner with us. And so, yeah, I probably lost some friends on Facebook and stuff through all the stuff that we were going through, but, uh, the, the support, just that little thumbs up meant so much to us. And so we would, you know, she'd have an infection. We'd have to go to the emergency room and we'd post it on Facebook and there would be somebody waiting for us at the emergency room with coffees because it was going to be a long night. Like they just, they didn't ask, they just did it. And so whenever you encounter somebody in your life who is going through a rough patch, um, uh, if they're stuck in the hospital, go mow their lawn. Just, just or, do it. Yeah, just, just do something. Do it. Don't ask. That was we don't the know. biggest help. Yeah. Yes. Cause half the time they don't know what they need. Yep. And then the other half, you don't, you feel inconvenienced, even though they say, don't hesitate to ask. You feel like I don't want to inconvenience you by saying, Hey, really? I just need a gallon of milk. Can you go to the store for me? You know, it's, just do it. Just well, do it. Plus yeah. you, your mindset is at that time, you know, we're going to do everything we can right now to survive. And so mm-hmm. you probably just say, you know, this is another thing I'll just do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so Absolutely. having it crossed off your list without, you know, um, yeah. asking is a, a great thing. Yes. Um, and like I said, I, and I've, I've said that Ben a million times, uh, let me know if there's anything I can do. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't want to, you don't want to impede. I don't want to impede. I don't want to insert myself in yes. a situation where you don't want me. Uh, but I think, like you said, it's better to, instead of asking for permission, ask for forgiveness. If somebody gets upset yeah. at you right. and as your guys's experiences, it ends up being a, a great gift. Oh. And if you're going to make food, put it in a container that can go easily into a freezer. Because if you just show up with something, I mean, they're going to five somethings might be sitting there one night. So um, don't worry about that. They'll 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 freeze it or they'll give it to their family that's visiting. How many times were our parents there 
and they, nobody had to make food because somebody just brought it for us. And that was huge. Um, you know, our parents were there for uh, emotional support for us and yeah, they would have cooked a, a beautiful dinner for us, but there were oftentimes they didn't need to, and we could really focus on just getting through, uh, that night and, and just being as strong as we possibly could for Avery. So, um, one of my favorite books that I've ever read now I'm, I'm a cry. Uh, I cry a lot. Uh, I cry in movies, commercials, books, um, driving. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, this book made me just sob and, um, and I read it not maybe a couple of years ago. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, uh, called when breath becomes <laughs> air by Paul Kalanithi. I was about yep. to say when breath becomes air, we both you, read it. Yeah. Did you guys cry? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah it, 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 I didn't cry. Have, I, sh- I sobbed. Yeah. yeah. Like, was, and I think I was in public reading it too. And like, people are like, what is his problem? It's, yeah. yeah. It's deep, but it's, it's, it's also just beautifully written. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recommend anyone to read this book. Um, but he, he, there's a quote in there that uh, they, they're talking about how to, I mean, a lot of it is how to live in light of this thing that we have going on mm-hmm. now. And they're talking about him and his wife are talking about, you know, should we have a child because, you know, he's going to die. And uh, so th- th- he's retelling this story and, and they say, uh, w- his wife says, "Will having a newborn distract from the time we have together. Don't you think saying goodbye to your child will make your death more painful? And then he responds, he says, wouldn't it be great if it did? Yeah. I said, Lucy and I both felt that life wasn't about avoiding suffering and pain. Um, and, and I think it, all of us as humans, and it's the great kind of theological philosophical question of what do we do with pain? How do we make sense of it? How do we like, you know, what have, what have you learned in the midst of your pain and did, did you find meaning in it? Honey, go <laughs> take that one. Well, I mean, I think it kind of just goes back to what you were just saying. Like what I learned was that if someone else is in the position that we're in, how, what did we appreciate that, you know, people did for us. I want to be able to do that for someone else going through a struggle. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be able to help them how I can, what, you know, and we, we talked about even with our foundation, um, giving gifts to other hepatoblastoma warriors who are fighting because people brought us stuff in the hospital. I didn't even think that I needed, you know, they were bringing chapstick and water bottles and just random things, even a nightlight, you know, that you don't think you you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. And somebody even brought a headlamp and that was great. I wore that thing and I read books to Avery in the hospital bed without having a huge overhead light on at night. Um, and so things like that where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm learning that, these are the things that we can do for other people too, you know? And, um, uh, and I'm about, I was about to answer, like respond with, we try to get through life with as little pain as possible, but I'm not sure. I think that's, that sounds good to say, but people put themselves, you know, five K's wouldn't exist and marathons wouldn't exist. If that was the truth, we put ourselves as humans in these situations that test you, um, and that's personal. Uh, what are you testing yourself for? What are you hoping to find out? You know, these are all questions that are asked. And I remember thinking throughout the, you know, this is that, no, I'm not running a marathon and, you know, or ultra marathon. And no, I'm not, uh, really testing myself like somebody going through boot camp. But when this is over, I will know that I had, that I had lived up to the greatest test of my life. Um, and nothing moving forward is ever going to, 
be too much for me. It's going to, I was almost going to say nothing will ever throw me for a loop, but no, I get thrown for loops daily as an administrator in a public school. But what challenge, bring it on. Tell me what challenge don't bring it on. No, if anybody's listening, I knock on wood on that one. Don't bring it on. I'd I'd rather not. But if it does come to me, uh, there's nothing in life that I can't with my wife beside me and uh, overcome. It's just, it's that weird, like, um, and again, I don't think any of us wish that the pain we've went through would be relived. And if you could maybe even like choose to like, you would choose that Avery didn't get cancer. Oh, yeah. This is, but in light that she did, you've learned something and life is different for you now. And you just can't go back to that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to take that experience and turn it into a positive moving forward. Yep. And just, you know, do better for other people. Help, you know, it helps you to understand more. Yeah, it does. But, and and yeah. that, like, I think, Ben, to your point, I think we all kind of live as if death will never happen, right? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a morbid thought, and we can't be obsessed with it because it, it can really turn dark for any of us. Yeah. But the reality is, is everyone I know is going to die, right. including myself, and so then the question for me becomes, in light of that, how best can I live today then yeah. with the, my family? Do they know that I love them? Do, right. do I know that they, do they know that I care for them? Because this is all we get, yeah. you know? Um, and there was literally a time, I mean, during Avery's fight where we were living every day as if it were our last, literally. And yeah, Make-A-Wish sent us to Disney. I mean, she was, we got to the point where it was. We started making plans. Did you ever, yeah, I was going to yeah, ask yeah. you that. I don't want to be insensitive there, but no, did you no. ever think that the cancer was winning? Yes. When we were in Disney and we had to give, we had to bring chemo with us. Uh, yeah, that was- and we were, uh, the doctors were like, normally we would say, stay here and, and you can't go, but we don't know how much longer this is going to be. So go and enjoy yourselves was essentially the was a message and they gave us chemo to bring. And I remember sitting in the room, uh, trying to give it to her. And every time she tried to take medicine, it was a fight. She would fight it and fight it. And this was the kind that wouldn't go through her port. It was the kind she had to actually put in her mouth and Mm -hmm. swallow. And it tasted terrible. So she didn't want to. We're in the room. We're at Disney, the happiest place on earth. Uh, make a wish sent us. Um, if you don't support Owls for Avery foundation, support them, man. What a great, what a great organization that is. Uh, sent us all expenses paid. We're getting ready to go explore the park, but we have to give her chemo before we go. And she wouldn't take it. She's crying and she's coughing. She's having hard, you know, having a hard time kind of catching her breath. And we both looked at each other and we said, done, we're done. Like we're not, we're not giving her, her this, this. Yeah. and we're not, and we're not going to give her any more while we're It was here. her last dose too. So we're just, you know, yeah. so you just yeah. said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. last one. Yeah. We're here. We're, we're, we're here. I'm not going to see, I'm not putting her through any more, any more. I'm not going to put her through any more, especially while we're here. We're going to enjoy this. And we did. It was the best vacation ever. Um, we did put her through more when we got back because we found a way to save her life. Um, basically that's what that boils down to. We knew, we had to go to Cincinnati because the, the doctors in Dallas were like, they didn't, they weren't so sure they wanted to move forward with another operation. 
and we knew that that was it. That was the only thing that would save her life. Uh, the doctors in Cincinnati, who is the expert for hepatoblastoma, we found out later. And that's who we work with very closely as our foundation. They said, if you can get her here tomorrow, we'll go in and do this. We're like, okay. So we went. We yeah. literally got in a car and drove that night. We flew. Did yeah. okay. we fly? Yeah. yeah, we flew there and didn't fly home. Remember? Oh, yeah, because <laughs> we're sitting in the post-opera. So it's a lung surgery and what, you know, balloons, altitude, you know, thing, these are these are things that you have to take into consideration when you're you have surgery on a lung. And we're sitting in the post-op room and he's giving us the best news that we've ever heard that clean margins again and everything's good. And she did really well. And um, so we were like, Doc, like when when can we hop back on a plane? Like we hadn't thought this far. We just got there and he's like, Oh, you can't fly for like a month. Yeah. And so I had to cancel our return trip on the flight. Cause we didn't think about, but I flew back yeah. because I had to be at, back at work, which I remember driving to Dayton. That's where I, I got on a plane from Cincinnati and, and think I'm leaving them in Ohio and I'm going to fly back to Texas. This is crazy, but we had to do it. My and mom it, and sister stayed with you. Thank God. And then your parents, but came we didn't up. know how we were going to get home. Cause we yeah. knew we couldn't stay in Cincinnati for a month, you know? So your parents, my parents drove who up. live in Florida, drove to Cincinnati, picked up myself and Avery and drove us home to Dallas, Texas. So they made a cross country <laughs> trip because Avery couldn't get on a plane yeah. and they just, yeah, and so we followed that up with chemo. Um, we did do it to her again, uh, but only a couple rounds and it never came back. And that was it. Never came back. And it's still not. And uh, that was in September of 2016. And then by January of 2017, she was in remission. you can find out all the information on our website, which is owlsforavery.org. And we have an event tab there so they can just click on that and they'll see the OFOF open Indiana. Um, and there's a link to register on our website. Are you on Facebook? On the, oh, face, yeah, we're on on the Facebook? We're on the Facebook.com. Yeah. Um, search Owls for Avery. Give us a like. Um, you can kind of keep up, keep up to date with, with what we're doing there. We have Instagram, Twitter, uh, the whole nine yards. And we post all the updates on any one of those social are, media are you, platforms. Are you on the Snapchat? We're not on the Snapchat. No. I don't know how I don't, I don't get it. I uh, want to so bad. Yeah. I tried. I thought that there was maybe a way for schools to utilize. And I still think there is Snapchat. Um, like have like students kind of take over the school Snapchat channel for like a, a day in the school and take pictures of things I, I, or just other. I, I, but we don't know how that would work for Alice for Avery Foundation. So if people just like, I'm not a golfer, but mm-hmm. if I wanted to donate, can I go to owlsforavery.org and donate? Yeah. So we have a donate button right there on that, that main page, um, Owls for Avery. Uh, and they could do it on Facebook too. Cause we have the Facebook page. We put more information on Facebook just because there's a lot of posts and we mm-hmm. talk about what's happening and everything goes on there first. Facebook is for curating content. So yes. I think yes. it's, yeah. Yeah. So they can donate on Facebook or they can donate on our website. And way. the money raised goes to what again? Yeah. So we're, we have a board. We, so we're doing, we're trying to do everything as, as, as kosher as we possibly can. Um, this was a pipe dream and we kind of just ran with it before we realized like, wait a second, we should probably do this legally. And so we did, and we have a board that's up and running. We have bylaws and do all that stuff. Yeah, it's a legal 501c3. It's a le- yes. legal 501c3. Um, nothing that we spend our money that, that we've raised on or nothing that we do with that money is, is not run by the board first. So it's a board decision 
It would be nice if just one night laying in bed, she and I could decide what to do with the money, but that's not how we want to run this. Um, we don't want, we want faith in people. Um, so every decision that we make on where this money goes is run by our board. Our board is made up of, of moms who have had hepatoblast. Or, uh, a lot of them are. Yeah, yeah. A lot of There's a couple whose, whose children have been affected by hepatoblastoma. So, I mean, they've got, they, they know what's up and there's a couple other people that are on our board as well. Um, we, uh, but there's different hospitals. We, we basically have found out who in this country is studying hepatoblastoma and doing research to find new drugs that will treat hepatoblastoma. And there are several, um, a handful, yeah, not very many, but we have contacts at, um, Texas children's and, Houston, um, the CCTDI, which is the Children's Cancer Therapy Development Institute in Beaverton, Oregon, um, Cincinnati Children's Medical Center Dr. Geller. with Dr. Geller, who treated Avery. She was a patient there. If you're listening to this and your your child was just, just diagnosed with hepatoblastoma, uh, your doctor's doing great, but call Dr. Geller. Yeah. Call, I mean, he's, he's world renowned. He is the guy. I think that's a, a and we're getting long here, but I do yeah, want to yeah. say this real quick, man. I think that's a, a really fine point. It's never, I think some people feel guilty about asking for other opinions. Um, yeah, and well, we did, um, because you don't want to hurt the feelings of your doctor. Right. Um, mm-hmm. because they might be doing a great job, but having more heads together, um, and more people looking at it yeah. is always better. Yeah. And it will not hurt their feelings. Doctors are used to, and recommend that you get a second opinion. Yeah. It will not hurt their feelings. So do it. So, yeah. So he's, he, and he's in Cincinnati. Um, we, we were pretty quick to, to seek his guidance. Um, because after the first, uh, four, after the f- protocol of having surgery and following that up with four rounds of chemo, if it comes back, there's really no, there's no roadmap at that point. You kind of, uh, just have to kind of make up decisions on the fly. So uh, the more information that we could get, the better he was who we went to and we've uh, maintained that relationship with them. Um, again, I had a friend, actually Nick Otis, who is much smarter than me. Um, uh, he questions everything that I do, like uh, everything, literally. Uh, one of those questions was why would I give my money? Like, and he was asking as if, out of the kindness of his, helping me think my way through this, like, why would I give my money to you if I could just give it to Cincinnati children's hospital? And I said, no, that's a great point. I mean, if you want to look online, find that program that you want to donate your money to get that money to them, by all means do it. You can go to their website and there's probably a very large donate, button button on it. Um, or we can do the work for you. We know the programs that are promising. Um, we're, I mean, we're experts, so you don't have to be. And it wasn't uh, this, the school to become an expert in this was not a fun school. So we know where the money is going to be best utilized. Uh, and we feel like there are some th- things being done at these places that are really going to change the lives of, of many kids. If you guys listening to this, want to give your money to CCTDI in, in Beaverton, Colorado, or Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, or Children's Hospital, any children's hospital or St. Jude's or whatever, do it. Part of our mission is to raise awareness uh, for childhood cancer and hepatoblastoma. Give your money uh, to those programs. That's great. Um, or uh, participate in some of our events. Uh, we, we, we gladly accept donations year round, and we're trying to do the best with that money um, to affect the most kids with hepatoblastoma that we can. And what I love about what you guys are doing is you're using the thing that has left you um, with an indelible mark and experience uh, in a season of life. And you've, you've flipped it and you said, okay, how do we take this 
really um, what could have been a, a tragic situation and do the most good out of it, which I find very, very inspiring. Yeah. So we end every podcast with this question um, and I'll ask either or both of you, um, Kathy, what brings you hope? Well, the foundation doing this work is, is promising and that brings me hope. And I hope that, um, one day, you know, we're able to have enough funds that we'll see a new drug come out and we'll see it make a difference and help kids with hepatoblastoma. What brings you hope? I get to work with kids every day. I mean, seeing children and knowing that there's a lot of good uh, teachers and adults working with those kids. Um, that brings me hope. We have, we have so many reasons to be hopeful in this town. We have great schools, great educators working with those kids, great people such as yourself and some others that we've talked about today doing things outside of schools. Um, kids bring me hope. Hey guys, uh, thank you so much for being here. And I, I do encourage everyone to go visit uh, owlsforavery.org and uh, check them out and maybe attend the golf event that's coming up in May or the event in September at Stone Lake Beach. And if nothing else, you can kind of just see a little more about their story and like them on Facebook, that kind of stuff. So uh, Kathy and Ben, thanks so much for being on the podcast thank today. You. Thank you. Thanks right. for having us. Have a good day.